Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Adoption Hacks. I'm so excited today to have on the show Ashley Mitchell. She's the owner of Big Tough Girl and the founder and executive director of Lifetime Healing Foundation. She sets out to seek increased care, understanding, and resources for birth mothers. For over a decade, she's been one of the most consistent and sought after birth mother voices in the nation. If you follow her on Instagram, you know her for her vulnerability and transparency in adoption. And her story has touched so many. She does so much good work for birth mothers, but also for adoptive parents to be educated and to understand all sides of the triad. And that's why she's here today to talk to us. Um, Ashley and I started talking last week about some of some of the issues that are happening right now in the adoptive community and conversations that are happening. And we felt like it was so important for adoptive parents, especially hopeful adoptive parents and new adoptive parents to understand this adoption community a little bit better and what we value and listening to each other and hearing each other out. So we want to have a conversation just about finding your place as an adoptive parent in this adoption community. So we touch on a lot of different topics and issues. So I know you're going to really enjoy this episode. Ashley, I'm so excited for you to be on Adoption Hacks. This is incredible. I am like, I'm like fangirling a little bit to have you on the show. So thank you for being here. Well, I am so glad to be here. I've been a big fan of the podcast and you've had some amazing guests and I'm excited to talk to your listeners today. This is awesome. Yeah. So Ashley and I have been talking and this is such a, it's, it's an amazing time. It's a difficult time um, for everybody in the adoption triad, but we wanted to take a minute and address um, adoptive parents, hopeful adoptive parents, and kind of help you find your footing in this adoption community. Um, so Ashley, you've been in this community um, longer than I have. You've been such a powerful voice in it. So what has the evolution of the adoptive community been like in your experience? You know, it's been really amazing. Um, If you were going to ask me, you know, four years ago, five years ago, when I first really started sharing on a social media platform, um, it was so difficult to even have anybody listen or trust, you know, a birth mom voice. And, you know, the adoption community was run by adoptive parents and they're, they're sharing very um, fluffy, (laughs) very, um, beautiful stories, but a lot of, um, just very self-serving, um, narrative. And there was a, a, a huge neglect in trauma and acknowledgement on how these families were being created. And not to say that there's not beauty and just amazing things in adoption, but we were missing such a powerful perspective from the adoptees and from the birth moms. And now you look at the adoption community and it's, it's so exciting and it's amazing. And I've met so many incredible, powerful, bold voices that want reform and want to accomplish all the same things. But I also know that with that comes, um, there's a big shift that has to take place. And a lot of families that have been in it for a while, like myself, are like, oh, I don't like the new change. (laughs) It feels uncomfortable and scary. And if you're brand new to the scene and trying to come to social media to get education as a hopeful adoptive parent, um, it can feel very overwhelming and scary. And so with the great change that has been needed and so, um, so lacking for so long also comes with 
a little bit of adjustment and a little bit thicker skin in this process, I think. And I've had to, I've had to learn that as a birth mother to get thicker skin in some of these spaces when we listen to the adoptee voices. And so I, I'm not excluding myself from feeling that way with the change. Um, it's needed, but it's definitely come with some adjustment. Yeah, for sure. There's, um, in my perspective, like I've been in this world for four years and even in the beginning of that, like you were saying, it's mostly adoptive parents who, you know, you go on Instagram, you search adoption. That's what you would see. Um, or pets or animals. <laughs> Don't even get me started. Um, yeah. Sorry. Probably most of the majority is of <laughs> shelter homes. Um, but, but yeah, it's cool. It's been like, I and mean, I think when I first started adoptive voices were being elevated, birth mother voices were being elevated. It was like a, Ooh, this isn't so like comfy for me to sit in anymore, but it's been such a good growth just for me personally to listen and learn so much. And, and you do have to go into it with, you know, ready to learn and not like, like, Oh, that, that hurts. So I'm just gonna, you know, it doesn't exist. I'm just not going to listen to it anymore. But when we come in and we recognize that we need to be listening and growing, it can be really, really a powerful community. Yeah. I think that there are things happening and a shift happening in the ethics and reform in our expectation of our professionals and holding them accountable, um, helping hopeful adoptive parents be ed better educated for this lifelong choice, um, offering so much more trauma and grief uh, resources. I think there, there's some cool stuff happening that, yeah. that is needed to happen for a long time. Yeah. And like with other communities I'm in, which, you know, it doesn't like compare because this is so unique, but even like a mom Facebook group or whatever, like there's so much judgment, there's so much criticism and nitpicking each other. And that of course happens in our community. But I think that we do overall, like a really good job of listening to each other, or at least we're starting to now. Yeah, I, you know, I, I agree with that. I think I think, you know, obviously there's going to be people that disagree with that statement, but I, I would support that. I think, I think for the most part, I think we have built something really special in our adoption community. And I know that I've definitely played a role in helping build that and create kind of the expectation of what that's going to look like. And we've had a lot of really powerful adoptive parent and adoptive voices come in and really kind of, Hey, this is the standard. If you're going to be here, we want you here, but this is kind of the expectation. And if you're, and the community has been really powerful that way. And it's not just, just this gossip fest around people. It's like, look, this, this is a deep rooted because I think this is so personal. We're talking about creating families and we're talking about building families off of so much brokenness and loss. And we're talking about children separated from biology. It's personal. This is trauma work. And so this community, I think comes into this with a little bit different heart space to say, Hey, we don't, we don't get to just be, the the gossip girls the mean girls on the other side and there's definitely i mean that exists in every community and it's social media but i think our community has done pretty good to hold each other to a, a little bit higher standard because the stuff that we're dealing with is so personal the micah stoffer stuff like i saw the general public just 
just going to town on her. How dare mm. you? This, um, this would never happen with a biological child. Those are the comments I saw over and over. And with the adoptive community, it was like this. There's a lot of messed up stuff <laughs> about this, but but this mom was not educated and she was not supported. And this is all of this is very very tricky and complex. So. Yeah, and coming, you know, our our community was able to sit in the education and say, hey, look, rehoming happens a lot, mm-hmm. right? The disillusion of adoption happens a lot. And I'm like, I'm a biological mother who in crisis didn't feel like I could parent my own child. I made that decision. I think we just see, have such a different lens for this kind of conversation where just society in general that's so uneducated in this space wouldn't be able to sit in that um we see that in a lot of our pro-life communities and our christian communities and our pro you know we come to the table with such a different lens in adoption um and i i'm really proud of our community about that actually because we're actually to be um to be able to be in such an emotional space and to be very logical about our thinking i think we do a pretty good job yeah i think so too or we're growing you talk a lot about sitting knee to knee with each other and can you speak to that need for us to listen to each other and and also sit with these topics ourselves and really understand and process these things i think the most valuable way to educate yourself is to listen to people who have been through this process and it's really easy for us to just trust the professionals that we're paying all this money to that that obviously they're the experts like why wouldn't we question anything that they tell us but i think there's something so powerful when you're listening to people that are in the throes of these experiences Mm -hmm. that need to be heard and sitting knee to knee with each other so we um i wrote the nation's first post-placement curriculum and training for adoption professionals. And so we go to the professionals, um, healthcare professionals, pregnancy centers, adoption agencies to sit with them and say, you need to offer better post-placement care. And for us, that looks like gathering women, birth mothers, to be able to sit knee to knee with each other in person and have free support groups. Um, because there is something so powerful to be drawn out of isolation from social media and be able to sit in person with women that have been through what they've been through. And that community is important. It matters that you find people that um, are on your own side of the triad that can help you and process um, where you have a safe space to be able to talk. But it is vital for your open adoption relationships to be able to listen to those that um, challenge you a little bit. Um, if your way of thinking has been this one lane for your entire journey, and this is the education that you're getting, and you're still trying to push your own agenda, and you're not hearing from the biological mothers, and you're not hearing from the adoptees, you're actually missing more than half of the people involved in this relationship. You, this when we say adoption is for life, I don't know why people think we're kidding. (laughs) Like this is for life. Mm -hmm. And in no other realm would these two families be collided. And now we're bonded together for life by this child. And our number one responsibility should be about the child. And I know we all say that, but our actions would show differently that we're not actually here for the child. And if we can't get straight with that, 
and learn from each other. We can't do this well. And I need you to be able to do this well. I am, I am fighting on our side to make sure that the birth moms are healthier because I believe healthier birth mothers create healthier adoption relationships because I think they get the treat, grief and trauma support that they need. I think adoptive parents chill out a little bit if the birth mom's a little bit healthier or they can feel like they can trust her and invite her in. Um, but, but all of these pieces are to serve the child and help the child grow into a space that says, yes, these choices were made without me these choices were made for and on my behalf um but now i have to live with the consequences of these choices and who's here to really support me and lift me up and if we can't listen to each other if we are so blinded by our own desires of our own hearts and if we're in so much pain that we can't listen we can't actually do what this is about and that's helping a child yeah. And we, we will cause more damage than good. I promise you, if we can't sit in a space where we can hear each other. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's, I think it's vital for these relationships to be done well and not that that will make it perfect and that we aren't going to have problems. But if there's a space where we know we can come to the table and hash this stuff out, we're going to be way better off long-term than if we just block it out and ignore it and block people and shut it down and walk away and become um, so sensitive that we can't, that we can't sit in uncomfortable spaces. Yeah. To those, every once in a while I hear from somebody, I mean, this is honestly like, especially with, people that listen to the podcast, they're the type of people who want to be educated. So I don't hear this too much, but every once in a while I hear something like, well, you know, they're in my family now, or they're in this country now or whatever. And I just say, you understand you're raising an adoptee, right? I think a lot of times like adoptive parents can think that adoptee is different than their newly adopted child. You're raising adoptee who no matter what the circumstances will always be connected to that birth mother. So what are we doing if we, if we can't listen to those voices now when we're in the, the prep stage or the early stages of adoption, the word, yeah, like you said, we're just hurting that child. Well, and I think there's just, there needs to be so much work before we step into adoption. And if we, if, if hopeful adoptive parents are coming through infertility, grief, and trauma, look, all sides of the triad have trauma. Okay. Uh, there no ifs, ands, or buts. Okay. We all have trauma coming into this. And I think hopeful adoptive parents, especially those that have walked through infertility, definitely feel I have seen a lot of them feel invalidated in their trauma, right? Because it's not like the birth mom trauma and it's not like the adoptee trauma, but we all come to the table with a lot of trauma and it is vital for the problem is, is I can't work through my birth mom trauma until I actually become a birth mom and relinquish the rights to my child. And so a lot of that healing isn't going to be able to come until later. But when hopeful adoptive parents come to the table and have experienced all of this loss, they need to process that and work through that before they step into this so that they can be more open-minded to sit in these spaces. Because it is really hard to see through that fog when we believe that the baby's really going to change you and fix things. And at the end of the day, a baby, you, you still have infertility. Even though you adopted a baby that doesn't magically change who you are. And it doesn't eliminate all of these deep 
wounds that need to be handled. And so I think there's so much of it for all of us that need to process those that can process before they step into this need to do that. Um, says so I think you will be able to be more open. And then a lot of that relinquishment of this is my family, this is my child now. I think a lot of that naturally heals itself um, when we're able to be more open to education if we've done the trauma work on that end. And I think that's lacking a lot for hopeful adoptive parents. And I can't speak to that. I don't know why I was blessed with able to have three biological children and other women aren't it's not fair and there and i don't think we'll have any of the answers for a lot of the questions that we have until another time until a different life but i definitely believe that there is work that needs to be done before we step into these spaces um or we or we'll be blinded by the desires of our own heart definitely if you have come through for infertility, it, you know, and not saying that that grief has to completely be gone. You'll always have grief from that. There'll always be a portion of you that maybe longs for that, but we have to at least start the process. We have to, we owe it to everybody in the triad to, to start that process or that just, that just gets added on to that trauma for the adoptee. Yeah. And they, and that that trauma and that jealousy and that insecurity gets projected onto the biological parents and we're coming into this space so vulnerable so afraid trying to figure out what we should do for us and our child and trying to make a decision that's best and when all of that other trauma is transferred onto us it's it just it's not helpful it's yeah. not helpful. And like you said, I don't think we're ever done healing. I think we all are, should constantly be in this state of doing this kind of work. Um, because I don't think that it's ever just that like, Oh, we did 20 hours. Check. We're done. Like we're good. Right. right. Um, I mean, I've been in this open adoption arena for 14 years. You know, I'm a birth mom, 14 years post-placement. And I just had to start, um, trauma therapy last summer again, like out of nowhere, it was just like, Oh, well, I guess that wasn't taken care of when I thought it was. And now we got to, you know, revisit. Um, and so it's never about being done, but it's about at least acknowledging that it exists. And that it's going to be a roadblock for us and so that we can be proactive in it. Um, because if we just refuse to acknowledge it, we won't, we won't ever be able to be authentic in these spaces. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's talk about the adoptive parents role in the triad because, um, like we've talked about before, the sometimes the adoptive parent can feel like, can enter into this space and think, ooh, everybody hates me. <laughs> Every, I am the, uh, I'm the enemy here. Um, and so let's, let's just talk about that for a little bit. And is that true? And, you know, what, what can we learn about, about our role in this triad? So before we even get into this conversation, I want those of you listening to know, I love adoptive parents. Like genuinely, I would not be here having this conversation today. I would not be trying to educate in the way I would not be reliving my own trauma over and over if I didn't care about helping you do this better. My son's mother um, is one of the most amazing women that I know. And she does an amazing job of doing exactly what I asked her to do. And that was to take my son and love him as her own 
and raise him. And she, they have done an amazing job. And so I have so much respect for adopted parents. And I do not think that adopted parents are bad guys because they want to adopt. I don't. Um, and that's why I want to be here and, and be educated. It's really hard when you just pop onto the scene in social media and we're in the throes of, you know, the story of Huxley and disillusion of adoption, or I'm talking about trafficking and adoption because of the Paul Peterson case and like all these crazy national stories when you're like, I'm a hopeful adoptive parent and I just wanted to freaking know how to like fill out my home study paperwork <laughs> and you're talking about trafficking. <laughs> So I want you to know that I understand when you come onto the scene really just so innocent in what you believed adoption to be. And then you come into accounts like mine and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> that, that feel, that's intense. That can, that would be, that would scare a lot of people away. I get it. Um, but I really want to encourage you to still sit in it for a minute, scroll a little bit down, like read a couple of posts before you just click through stories and like deer in the headlights, like I'm out. This is not what I signed up for. Yeah. Um, what I need adopted parents to know is that adoption's not going anywhere. There are going to be women that continue to get pregnant. And I promise you, there are going to be some of those women that want to choose adoption that really believe that adoption is the best option. And so we need adopted parents to be willing to step up and be in that space. And it's okay. It's okay that you want to adopt. Um, I do think that it is very important that if you're going to be in this space and you're going to use adoption as the vehicle to grow your family, that you are very clear on your why. And you're very clear on your intention and you're very clear on your non-negotiables when it comes to working with the professionals. I 100% believe that true adoption reform is going to come from adoptive parents because they are the privileged voice in this triad. They just are. They're the ones that are writing the checks to the professionals. They have the voice that controls whether the agencies get to continue to do the kind of work that they do or not. And so I need hopeful adoptive parents, please, please adopt, but make sure that you understand what you're doing, what you're saying yes to, the kinds of professionals that you're working with, and where you're putting your dollars. Because at the end of the day, you're going to have to look at that child and, and explain to them how you brought them home. Mm -hmm. And only you can really decide what you can live with and what you can't. And I want you to adopt. If you feel like this is where you should be, please, yes, step into it. Be proud of it. Be excited about it. But be smart about it. Be ethical about it. Be educated about it. Or we'll just keep repeating the same cycles. Yeah. We have to recognize that we have the privilege in this triad and that we can, our, the language that we use as adoptive parents is so powerful. That's how our child understands their birth mother. That's how our, our child understands who they are and what adoption is. And so, you know, I think, that, you know, there's a lot of like calling out right now about language and stuff. And yes, please do. I want, I want to be better to be able to listen, to listen more than we speak 
and to be able to hear and understand our privilege and the power that we have um, is, is really important. Yeah, you know, it's so hard because when we talk about language and stuff, it's so easy for hopeful adoptive parents. You, you get a little bit of tunnel vision, right? So it's like, it's all hypothetical. This, this woman over here is hypothetical. Like I'm, I'm sure she exists, but I don't know anything about her and I'm preparing for a baby and we all come to the table. Just, I think parents in general come to the table with an expectation of what being parents is going to look like. And now we're adopting, which already threw some of that <laughs> off its axis. And now we're here and, and we're caught up in our checklists and we got to move the money around and we got to get our home study done and we got to, you know, do all these crazy things and we got to take all these classes and we got to read all these books and we got to, you know, do all this stuff. And because this feels so powerless in this space for hopeful adoptive parents, they get really controlling and crazy with their paperwork and all of this stuff because that's what they can control, right? Yeah. I can do this perfect profile book. I can get this home study done and I can do this, you know, all of this stuff. Um, but you have to remember, so really a very real woman that before your world even collides with her has discovered that she's pregnant and she's trying to decide if she's going to carry that baby to term or not. And she's trying to decide if she even feels worthy to parent her own child and she is going through all of these things while you think she's hypothetical. And while you're still like, oh my gosh, this crib, this empty crib has been mocking me in my house and I'm trying to get all this stuff done so that we can have this baby. There's a woman on the other side of that saying, what am I going to do with this baby? Mm -hmm. And it's so easy to get wrapped up in her own head about this, but you have to understand that that woman is very real. And this situation is impossible. And if you can't learn and listen about who these women are and about what this process looks like, and that actually in this season of wait isn't actually about you, and it's about her trying to figure out what's best for her and her child, if you can figure that out, my gosh, you can do this so well and you'll do this so much better. And the way that you will be able to talk about her and share about her, it won't be, oh, she went back and forth about whether she wanted to parent or not. And it was so scary. And we didn't know if we were going to be able to bring you home and, you know, or the other, other, other side of that, that she loved you so much that she gave you away to somebody else. And it's like the way that you represent yourself and your own insecurities and your language comes across in how your child will attach to their story. And it matters. It matters a lot, but you can't speak truth to your adopted child. If you don't understand what the process actually looks like, you just can't. And if you're only speaking from a one-sided desire, you can't, they won't ever get the full picture and they have the right to know who they are and where they came from. And it's just part of the gig in adoption. It's not people want to make adoption what society it would be normal, right? We want to try and force it to be a regular, normal, quote unquote, way to build our family. And you know what? It's just not. It's not. And so if we could stop forcing it to be this perfect picture of this normal way to build our family and accept it for what it is and love it for what it is and celebrate it for what it is, man, we can do this so much better if we stop trying to make it something that it's not.
absolutely. And as, as adoptive parents are entering this space and trying to figure out, understanding these issues and where they land on these issues and everything, how, how can they start digging and, and where's a good place for them to start if they're just feeling overwhelmed? Um, <laughs> so the, the rabbit hole of education online gets deep and dark real quick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And I always just tell families, like, just stay off of Google and don't watch Lifetime movies and you'll be fine. <laughs> like, because it gets dark real quick. Um, but I think it's really important to understand when you're coming into this, if you're brand new into this or you're just starting, maybe um, your adoption was just finalized and you want to know how to do this better. I think the biggest key thing for you to be able to get education that will be helpful is to understand where the education is coming from. And so when you go online and you just look up the hashtag of adoption after you get through all the animals, <laughs> um, we just have this blanket statement of adoption, right? So I'm going to go and look for adoption education, but you don't, you forget that underneath that is kinship adoption and international adoption and foster care and domestic infant adoption and, and, and step parent adoption and all these different things. But when you just search for adoption, then you get all of this information and now you're wanting to do domestic infant adoption and you're sitting in the throes of all of this education around foster care. Mm -hmm. And you're sitting there going, what? <laughs> the birth parents did what? Mm -hmm. They came to your house and did what? Like how much time have they spent in jail? Like, yeah. And, and, and then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I want to close adoption. Then you go to your agency and you're like, I want to close adoption because I am terrified of the biological parents. Yeah. Okay. Well, if all of the education that you're getting is from foster care, then yeah, it might be a little bit tougher for you to come into domestic infant adoption feeling like you can be open to this woman. Yeah. So when you're doing your education, you have to be specific what are you actually looking for? What's actually, now I think that there's stuff that you can learn under that blanket of all those different spaces. I think that you can learn things from foster parents and families that could be very beneficial. I think that you could learn things from closed adoption era that will be very helpful for you. But you have to understand that the main core of your education on domestic infant adoption needs to come from people that have walked domestic infant adoption. And so you have to be specific and clear about what you're looking for, or you will find yourself in the deep, dark hole of stuff that you're like, oh my gosh, I, I don't even want to do this anymore. I feel so horrible. But I'm like, it, if you're educating yourself on closed adoption, where records were sealed, uh, or reunification, where there was all this secondary rejection and all these things, when really you could potentially have an open adoption relationship like mine where my son gets to come and sleep over and hang out with me, there's a big difference in that kind of information. Right. And so I think hopeful adoptive parents come in that want to do it well, that follow your podcast, that list that really want to do it well. But I think that fire hose is drowning them. <laughs> and it's okay to say, I, I know that I can take this in doses and I know that this is important but I'm pursuing this. And so I really need to be prepared in this. And so I'm going to put some of this education on pause. I need to come back to it because it matters. But right now I need to focus my lane on this so that I'm prepared 
for something that's actually going to help me transition into this space. Yes. I remember when we, when we first started adoption, I like, I like to know everything about whatever I'm doing. Like I got a tonsillectomy and I spent like three days like <laughs> videos. I was just like, what, what is it going to be like? What's going to happen? What are like, what's the range of how it's going to feel everything. And so, I mean, when I was, when we were adopting, I like went crazy and, but Google, I was like, Oh, don't do not Google. <laughs> don't. I'm it, telling you. Terrifying. And I'm thankful to have like a, a sister-in-law who adopted before. So she really helped me. But I mean, that's one of the reasons the podcast came to be was just because I was like, if I wouldn't have had that connection, I would have been like, yikes, this is dark. <laughs> this yeah. is, I don't know if I can do this. Um, so yeah, that's really good. Um, yeah, it matters. It matters who you're listening to and also being able to see what perspective they're coming from, mm -hmm. because there is going to be things that are going to be relatable and things that you can apply, but that doesn't mean that all of it is going to be your situation. And so we always talk about take what works and leave the rest, right? You can lean in and listen and take notes and, and, and be proactive in your education. But at the end of the day, you need to take what works and leave the rest um, because you're not, you're not, if you're not adopting internationally, it, there's going to be so many things that you can learn, but there's going to be so much that you need to leave. That's not, that's not going to apply. And it's okay to say, okay, I got a good couple of points from that. I can leave, I can leave the rest. I don't have to try and apply everything that I hear and don't just listen to one voice. I have so many people that I love and I'm so grateful for my followers, but I'm like, I, I'm one birth mom. Like just because Ashley Mitchell said so is not a thing. Like you need to listen to other voices that can help you get different perspectives. Yeah. Um, because your situation might not look like mine. Okay. Like we've talked about before the, the choice to be, and I, speaking of choices, I do think that's, is what gives the adoptive parent, um, more of a privilege is that you're choosing to step into this life. The adoptee is not choosing and birth moms come from all different situations, but they are not choosing for, for this to happen. And so, um, so as the, as the member of the triad who, who is making the choice to step in, it's a choice to be, be lifelong educated by things. Um, and not just in our circles, not just recruiting other adoptive parents, but uh, supporting and listening to birth moms and adoptees. So what are some ways that we can do that? How can adoptive parents support birth moms? Just, you know, and not necessarily the, their child's birth mom, but just birth moms in general. Um, that's such a great question. I think, I think the biggest, I think one of the biggest things right out, right out of the gate is making sure that you're working with professionals that are going to offer the kind of grief and trauma support that she's going to need. Mm -hmm. Um, if you are going to proactively pursue adoption, you need to see the woman on the other side of that choice. And you need to see that adoption doesn't end at the hospital or at finalization. That's when it starts. And this relationship is for life. And if you're working with agencies that don't care for the moms long-term, 
um, you know, I always say, you know, you protest with your dollars, right? And so if you continue to use agencies and consultants that don't actually offer the kind of support that we need to be empowered and supported in our choices in our pregnancies, then I question whether you really do value us or is it just the baby that we carry? And I think that's a question that we all have to get real honest with. And that can be painful. That can be a, a really eye-opening space to sit in um, when someone's asking a question like that because it really forces you to pay attention to your motive and your intention for the why, again, coming back to the why are we adopting. Um, so I think working with agencies that you can make sure are getting that support. Um, I... And going to the churches, if you're involved in a church community, going to the churches to support pregnant women, there's so many things that we can do locally in our community. Um, but the biggest thing that you can do within your own triad is to, um, you know, I talk about I, my, my son's mom, her name is Lana, and she really could like write the book on how to love birth moms well, because she's amazing at it. They've adopted twice. And two different birth moms, two very different women. <laughs> and and she's amazing at it. She really is. Um, and, and I had a lot of years of silence um, where I could not be present because I, of a lot of grief and trauma, a lot of self-destructive behavior. I did not have any post-placement support. And so I had a my I call my infamous Jerry Springer years, I call them for a really long time where I was in so much pain and not able to be present. And I talk all the time about her, that the only reason that my son and I have the kind of relationship that we have now is because of the way she loved me when I was absent. Um, it was the way she talked about me in her home. It was the way that she kept him connected to his adoption story and to me. It was the way that she cared about his mental health and the way that she continued to involve him in sending updates, whether I was responsive or not. And every little thing that she did all circled back to help him stay connected so that if and when I returned, then he could make the decision on his own. Um, I think one of the biggest lessons that the two of us have learned as mothers in this space um, is that him needing to see me and be in my life and come and have a sleepover with me doesn't diminish her role right. of who she is to him. And she had to work through a lot to get to that space to say, if Derek needs to come and see you, it's not a diss on me. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love me or that I'm not his mom. Like he can come and tackle me at a visit through my front door and come and hang out with me and my kids for the weekend but when it's time to go, he tackles her on the front lawn and it's like, I'm ready to go home. And it doesn't do any good when we try and make the adopted child feel like they have to choose. Yeah. We both matter. Yeah. We both have a role to play. We both need to show up for the child. And if we can't get straight with that, I think that's one of the biggest things besides doing everything you can to make sure that your adoption was as ethical as possible. The most important thing that you can do for the biological parent, specifically the birth mother 
is to own the fact that she matters too. And it doesn't mean that you are less than, and it does not make this a competition. And it does not mean that your child doesn't love you because he needs me. It, it, that's not what this is about. And the fact that we've created a space for our son to need us both and want us both and love us both without feeling bad about that. How amazing and powerful is that for him? And how awesome is it for us to be able to sit in that space of respect for each other? Because I needed her to step up. I have two kids and I didn't really respect or really understand what she was actually saying yes to until I became a mother myself and really being able to understand and comprehend, man, she took on, they said yes to so much. Now that I'm a parent, I'm like, why would parents say yes to it? Why would they willingly say, please give me all of this responsibility and all of this, um, the struggle and this financial, you know, all of these things, but they said yes to all of that plus yes to my child and they said yes to me um and that mutual respect for each other is it 100 heals us but it serves him because he knows that he can have us both and it's okay yeah and it's okay for him to need us both and i think that's the greatest thing that adoptive parents can do to love the birth parents is to get to a space where it's okay for the child to need and love us both yeah. Yeah. And that's part of that is fixing, dealing with your own stuff before, mm -hmm. before you get there. You're not just your grief or infertility or something like that, but your insecurities. So one of the things like when, when we were trying to find um, an adoption agency and it's different for domestic and international, but one of the first things I would ask just as like a ethical checkpoint, like, let me just ask this first, because then I, I know whether to even proceed the conversation or not is what do you do for birth bomb support? What do you have in place? And um, what is a good answer to that question? Cause it's not just, Oh yeah, we, we give them some resources. I mean, what would the right answer for that be? Like we, so I have a list of free downloads on my website that have a list of questions that you should be asking adoption professionals oh, and perfect. a lot. Yeah. And, um, a lot of adoption professionals are going to have a very scripted answer for this. Right. And so a lot of families will come to me and be like, we asked all the questions yeah. and we felt like they gave us answers that we felt good about. And then this still happened and this still happened. And so it's really hard for me to, this conversation is tough because, because you, I, I can tell you all the right questions to ask. And if agencies come at you with answers that you still feel good about, there's still going to be potentially things that are going to come out. Um, so there's a couple of things that you just need to be aware of where you could dive deeper into specific questions. And so when it's a simple question, like, do you offer post-placement care? Every, every agency in the nation on their website talks about how they support the pregnant moms. Okay. And you have to ask yourself, who's that narrative actually written for? Is it written for the pregnant moms or is it written to help the hopeful adoptive parents go, oh, this agency takes care of the moms. They're who I want to give my money to. Yeah. Okay. So you have to pay attention to the narrative 
it is pushing agenda. The narrative is speaking to the people that are going to pay the check. And that is going to be the hopeful adoptive parents. Um, And you look, are you adopting in an adoption friendly state, right? When you hear adoption friendly, what does that mean? It means that the laws are more in the favor of the adoptive parents. It means that I have less time to change my mind when I relinquish my parental rights. It means that I can uh, relinquish the rights to a child without a birth father's signature. It means that I can fly you in and put you in this space without having residency um, and have you give birth and then fly you home. I mean, there's a lot of things to pay. I mean, we could do a whole separate podcast, Candace, on, on this kind of stuff. But for example, with that one specific question on birth mothers, how do you support the birth moms? Okay. Most agencies in fact, I've seen like 98% of the agencies are going to say that they offer some sort of counseling. Okay. We offer counseling services for moms after to work through their grief and trauma. Some make it pay, some make them pay for it. Some put it into the contract for the adoptive parents to pay for it. And some offer it for free. Okay. And that is great. That looks great. That sounds great. Okay. Um, but we are seeing that like less than 3% from agency to agency actually come back and take advantage of those services. And so when we're hearing um, agencies like, Oh, we offer free counseling. Look at how amazing we are. Um, I'm going, yeah, that sounds great to the adoptive parents, but the birth mothers aren't actually taking advantage of that service. So what else are you doing Outside of that, if they don't come back for those therapy services, what are you doing to make sure that they have the resources they need? What are you doing to keep in touch with them? What are you doing to make sure they're connected to community groups? What are you doing to make sure that they're in recovery programs? What are you doing to make sure that they have housing after the money stops from birth mother expenses? What are you, so it has to be deeper than do you offer post-placement care? Because agencies are going to be like, well, of course we do. Of course we do. And most agencies can pay up to six weeks um, of the birth mom expenses. And then after six weeks, they can't give money anymore. So then what happens to the birth mom after that? Do you have programs in place that they can be a part of? Do you have scholarship programs? Do you have da 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 And so just saying, um, oh, you have, you have you know, uh, therapy service, you offer, you know, services for the mom. If she wants counseling after placement, that's awesome. It's gotta be deeper than that. You gotta take those and go deeper. And most families wouldn't know to ask those kinds of questions. That's why leaning into this education, because the answer that the agency is going to give you is going to be like, well, that sounds great. They, they really care about the moms. That sounds amazing. Mm Um, but if you really understand that underneath that very scripted answer is a whole lot of other mess that we're missing, um, then you're going to find, and, and those things sometimes don't come out until you're, you know, a year in your open adoption and you're going, wait, what? You never got this. You never got this. And then the guilt from the adoptive parents is, it's crippling. Adoptive parent guilt is crippling for knowing that they, went through with something that actually ended up hurting, causing more hurt for the moms. That's hard. That's tough. Yeah. So being, being more proactive in, we can ask these surface questions and that's a great place to start and they need to happen. But if you can't go deeper, remember they work for you. You're paying the check. 
you are the one that they are serving. And so if they can't answer those questions, if they can't go deeper with you, if you're getting pushback from them, those are red flags that they're not actually here to serve you or the mom. Well, thank you so much, Ashley, for being here. I could talk to you all day. It is never ending. I just have so many, like, as I'm talking, I just have more questions popping up, but we will save it for another time. Uh, we'll do another podcast with you for sure. And yes, thank you for your time. I mean, how powerful that you are taking your time to teach adoptive parents. It's incredible. So thank you for that. Yes, I look forward to coming back and diving into more stuff. Um, I think this podcast is so helpful and the families that are here listening and wanting to learn, um, we're here to help you do it better. So thank you so much for letting me come and share today. <laughs> Huge thank you to Ashley for being on the show this week and thank you for listening. Please take a minute and go follow Ashley on Instagram at Big Tough Girl. You will not regret it. I learn so much from her. Every time I see that she's got a story series up, I just get settled in and take a listen because she is always, always teaching me something. Um, also, check out her websites, bigtoughgirl.com or sitneetoneed.com, and you'll be able to find some of those resources she mentioned and get more information. All right. Thanks, everybody. Make sure you're following Adoption Hacks on Instagram at Adoption Hacks. And feel free to email us any comments or questions at adoptionhacksinfo at gmail.com. And we would love to get those five-star rating and reviews on Apple. Thanks, everybody. Have an awesome week. Yeah.